0: Just by way of introduction, uh, yes, I'm a Muslim to Israel Eaton College, but I am also the founder uh, of the Oxford Foundation. And um, if you get a moment, um, I would encourage you to go on to the oxfordfoundation.com website because it will give you some information about what we do, but we also have a great wealth of publications that you can download. High quality publications, uh, sometimes books, uh, on the theme of war and peace, on the theme of interfaith understanding between different faith groups. Um, And and you will also be able to download the open letter to which I'm a signatory. And the open letter is addressed to the leader, to the fighters, and the supporters of the self-declared Islamic State. Um, It's signed by 126 Islamic Sunni scholars from across the Islamic world, and point by point, it unpicks the theology, um, the religious legitimacy, the claim to Islamic legitimacy. It unpicks that point by point, and I hope you will find that useful, and I will touch on this as well in my presentation. I'm going to first begin with providing an outline uh, of what is mainstream Islam, because Islam and uh, uh, the faith of Islam uh, is in the news pretty much every day. Well, why is it that they're saying Muslims, if it's to do with Islam, why was it that they weren't blowing up the Bamiyan statues the last, you know, so many hundreds of years? Why is it that they weren't killing and trying to exterminate minorities in the Middle East or in in Africa before? What is it that's happened? Um, And what I'm going to touch on is the extremist theology as opposed to mainstream Islam and I hope that you will be able to place a position where that violence comes from as opposed to the mainstream Islamic tradition and let me also say that the theology, the way of interpreting and understanding the religion, uh, the faith of Islamic tradition um, that extremist theology is the same theology that underpins all the different violence. So it might be IS today and it's Boko Haram somewhere else, and then it's Tepakistan, Taliban, you know, sort of um, uh, a whole host of groups, but in fact what underpins their interpretation of Islam is the same theology. And I hope we, we will touch on that too, and also Share with you some of the mainstream responses, mainstream Islamic responses uh, to um, this uh, challenge. Really, for all of us to uh, defeat this uh, theology uh, and this particular movement that uh, uh, has caused so much havoc uh, in Islamic world, in the Islamic world, and predominantly, so many of their victims have been Muslims, firstly. Uh, and then, of course, uh, other, other, other groups as well. So when we come to it, really, the battle, or the, 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 the question really is about interpretation. How do Muslims interpret uh, the Quran and the Hadith, the two primary sources of Islam? Uh, that's where the, the real battle is going on. And when we look at the Qur'an, of course, that's for Muslims, the word of God. It's in Arabic. But traditionally, Muslims have understood that in many different ways. You know, grappling with the word of God, uh, of course, it's in Arabic. So now, you know, Muslims have, uh, Muslim scholars looking at the, the Arabic, the linguistic meanings of the word, uh, word of God. There are traditionalists. Uh, commentaries on the Qur'an, there are rationalist commentaries on the Qur'an, there are mystical and spiritual commentaries on the Qur'an. Um, So what you have with an extremist theology is to say, we don't need any of that anymore, there is only one interpretation, and that is our interpretation. So it is basically to do away with a thousand plus years of Islamic tradition and history, and say, we don't need that. We're going to go back to the 7th century and understand those sources uh, in a literal way and also understand them in a way that supports our political vision. So it's a political ideology that seeks to utilise religion to justify what they're doing. So this is just one uh, kind of an example of how Muslims have understood that first source, uh, the Qur'an, the word of God. And then, of course, the traditions, likewise. Um, There is great debate and there's great discussion um, on tradition of the Prophet. And the one I'm going to share with you, this is a very famous tradition of the Prophet, and it's called the Hadith of Jibreel. and really, for Muslims, it defines the way of life of Islam, the faith of Islam. And the Prophet defined this as being based upon three dimensions, on Islam, Iman, and Islam. So Islam is something that you know, m- most people might be familiar with. It's something that young people are taught in school, uh, in religious education. It's the five pillars of Islam, you know, to, 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 to witness that there is... Uh, One God and his messenger to pray pray, five prayers a day, uh, to fast in the month of Ramadan, to give 2.5% of one's wealth uh, to to, to the needy and the poor. And then, of course, if one is able to, one performs the Hajj. Uh, So, this is the first dimension uh, of of Islam. And the second dimension is very much about theology. Iman, you know, belief in God, uh, his angels, revealed books, messengers have come. In the past, that God has sent uh, to different peoples of the world with the same message that you know, life is not an accident; that there is meaning, that uh, there's purpose, um, and that there is a Creator. So that's that's the the, the second dimension. Uh, and it's silent. It's, um, it's doing that which is beautiful. Uh, the Prophet defined it uh, to worship God as if you see Him, but if you do not see God, know that He sees you. Um, and that's, that's so that's how Islam. So do, how do these three dimensions um, unfold historically? Well the first dimension is Islam. Muslims understood, uh, the great scholars and the jurists understood from a very early stage that you simply can't take verses of the Quran just literally. They were revealed over a 23 year period. There is a particular context to a verse of the Quran. You need to understand what the prophet said about it. You need to understand what the companions might have said and understood by it. You need to understand what, what the tradition, you know, what the other scholars have said about it. So they understood that this is, you know, it's much more complex than just taking uh, either the tradition of the prophet, literally, uh, or the verses of the Quran. So what they created was what we say, usul, uh, principles, a methodology of trying to interpret those two primary sources so that they can then be applied in life, in human you know, uh, activity. Um, and so in, in Islam, we have uh, a number of schools of law that emerged that still con- continue uh, till today. Uh, and this kind of provides a way of making the law relevant as well. And this will have relevance to what I have to say when I speak about is. The second <coughs> dimension of the what does it mean to be Muslim and what does it mean to be part of the Muslim-Islamic community? Um, and so the two sort of primary major uh, Sunni schools uh, are, are the schools of Imam al-Shrieh and But I mentioned Khawarij. Khawarij, there was recently, know, a few years back, there was a fatwa on terrorism by Sheikh Islam, uh, Professor Dr. al Qadri. And he basically takes the Huarij, a 7th century movement, who have the same characteristics of the Al-Qaeda today, i.e. they're rebellious, they rebel against central authority, they justify violence towards fellow Muslims, they justify the assassination and killing of Muslim leaders. So he takes that from the 7th century, brings it today, um, and it's basically, his argument is that uh, the, the modern-day uh, manifestation of extremism <coughs> uh, and, and the violence and that kind of theology, is the Khwarech theology, not the mainstream uh, theology. <coughs> and then the final, sort of the third dimension, it's on. Uh, something that for the last 200 years has been under persistent sustained attack. Uh, today, you know, we have uh, Sufi shrines, for example, being uh, uh, bombed, destroyed. Uh, this movement for the last 200 years has been killing uh, uh, Sufis um, or any other Muslim, Shia, Muslims. But the third dimension is Sufism. How do we in, uh, perfect our character? Um, and how do we, that submission to God, Islam, the first um, um, dimension, the second of faith, it has to overflow into doing that which is beautiful. Uh, that's the dimension that's been under attack and sustained attack for the last 200 years. That's the dimension that nobody talks about. Because having faith has to mean something. It has to, you know, it's not the ugliness of violence and division and hatred, but it's making everything around you beautiful. So I try and use that bit some that third dimension in my work with young people, to say, well, how are you going to contribute to British culture? How are you going to make your neighbourhoods, your school community, uh, your faith community in your local area beautiful? How are you going to express that? And um, so I I, I will touch on that uh, when I tell you about my my educational program. So submission to God, Islam, uh, faith in God, uh, theology, it has to overflow into beauty. Uh, And that's the domain of Sufism, that's the domain of character building um, and that's the main. When we talk about peace, love for your brother, what you love for yourself. You know, uh, there is no reciprocation of harm. Yeah, if you cannot return a, uh, um, you do not return a harm uh, with a harm. You have to return it with something better and more beautiful. That's that third uh, dimension. So the extremist theology, as I said, it interprets the Qur'an uh, literally. It cherry-picks verses of the Qur'an that suit their political vision, uh, their political uh, agenda. Uh, And likewise, that's how they use the traditions of the Prophet as well. They arbitrarily uh, declare Muslims non-Muslims, which of course means they can then justify their violence towards their fellow Muslims and that's what's been going on for at least the last two hundred years. What's happened over the last thirty plus years is that the same uh, ideology of theology, the way of interpreting uh, 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 those sources, was a minority uh, movement. It was was pretty much eradicated until uh, in the Middle East a particular government, a state, was established and its state ideology became um, that interpretation of Islam uh, heavily funded to billions of dollars and they've been able to interpret uh, no, they've been able to disseminate and, and spread a minority version of Islam pretty much all over the world it's been, you know, they've taken the forward uh, mass production level to a different level you know, they, they've used that to kind of mass produce these uh, people who are just absolutely blinkered no respect for diversity no respect for disagreement uh, it's either their way or Norway. Um, they also justify uh, rebellion and violence towards uh, the state and central authority. And I call it the theology of separateness. Uh, they separate themselves from the community of the mainstream community Muslims. Um, this is what they do. You know, they use technology we're talking about very effectively. Um, they separate young people from their communities. And then they're able to incorporate them through technology, but also through individuals uh, who propagate their, their, their version uh, or advocate their vision of, uh, of Islam. And I mentioned the Khawaj, they were responsible for the murder of the fourth caliph uh, in, in Islam. So you know their uh, history goes back a long way, and I think this is very important as a Muslim to understand. The, uh, the historical roots of this kind of idea, mindset, uh, as well. So what are the mainstream Muslim responses uh, to this? Well, the first, um, in 2008, um, I devised what's called the Oxford Muslim Pupils Empowerment Programme. You can download it from our website. And the idea is very simple, to give young Muslims growing up in Britain um, a counter-narrative to the theology of separateness, So that they, 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 they feel that this is their country, they feel that this is their home, this is where they belong, and therefore this is where they need to contribute and channel their energies into doing that, which is beautiful, contributing towards British life and culture and, and uh, public life as well. The other, of course, is the open letter, Uh, to IS and the Iman message uh, which is also a very significant document. So what's on that? Um, Well I I realized that there wasn't uh, a a proper uh, Islamic education for young people growing up uh, in this country and uh, it was really very difficult to do something in, in mosques because you know they all have their own particular schools that they belong to or, or the sectarian sort of, you know, uh, understanding or vision. Um, and very resistant to change. So the next option really was, it was something I had developed at Eton. So can, can we try this at a local school in, in Oxford, for example? And that's what we did. Um, so we created a space, you know, over lunchtime, where young people, you know, invited everyone, that is predominantly Muslim. Uh, young people, they came in in very large numbers because they wanted to learn, they wanted to understand their faith. They also wanted to understand their faith in the context of a plural, multi-faith, multi-cultural society, where Muslims are a minority, to try and understand what Islam means for them here and now and how they can really feel uh, confident about their Islamic faith, but also be confident uh, in contributing to uh, British society. Uh, we also had role models come into the school. So this is because of some young people, maybe coming from deprived and disadvantaged backgrounds. They needed role models who'd done well at school, who'd gone on to university, uh, were successful in different fields, of endeavor. So we had that uh, too. And there was also a realization that there's also an intergenerational cult. And that's not just specific to Muslim young people growing up in this country, it's a broader broader issue. Um, there's you know, clearly fragmentation in family life going on, uh, divorce, separation, and so on. Uh, and we found that you know, gangs became a very important uh, focus of. Uh, of a sense of belonging, so. so a theological aspect, but also opening them up to um, music, to Islamic art, to drama, to storytelling, interfaith um, um, interaction, um, and also mentoring. Um, so it's not just theology, but it's actually opening up possibilities for young people. Opportunities for young people. So you challenge a extremist narrative, but you open up a whole array of possibilities for young people. And that's what the OMPAP uh, educational program does. And these are some of the questions in terms of the theology that, that. These are not questions that came from me, these are questions that those young people wanted answered. So um, that's what we've done. We've uh, answered those questions in the OMPAP. Um, uh, you know, program which you can download from the internet. So, but this just gives you an idea of the kinds of things that we've looked at. You know, misinterpreted verses of the Quran. Um, the far right, Pagida, for example, have launched in, in the UK. Uh, it's an extreme far right party. So they're using some of these verses. You'll get Muslim extremists use the same verses. Just say look, you know, you've got far right using the same stuff. You got Muslims claim to, you know, uh, sort of. You know, Muslims are <laughs> using this to justify that point of view. Um, how, how do the mainstream Muslims understand this? So it's to untake that and, and give them a, uh, a kind of theological understanding, which they do themselves, com- uh, comparison of texts and so on, textual study. Um, the other big question at that time was British Muslims going to fight uh, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and now it's Syria. Uh, you know, young people from the UK going over, over to uh, Syria. So we, we we challenge and and uh, provide uh, alternatives uh, to, to to those young peoples. And and the other one, of course, is about Muslims can't be friends with Christians and Jews. I mean, this is a, a very important uh, pillar of an extremist outlook. That you know, it's, you should be isolationist. You should be uh, you know living in your own bubble and. Uh, not, not to be engaged with, with other people, other faiths. And you know, my maxim, the maxim I live by, that I've learned from my own family, from my own church, my own scholars, is that the other is my brother. You know, the other is my brother, either in humanity or in faith. Um, so it's when you begin to unpick this for them and give them examples from the prophet's life, you're actually kind of uh, challenging that cherry-picked theology into a theology that's far broader, that's been deconstructed for a thousand years, that enabled Muslims to integrate uh, minorities and and, and to live happily with them. So the open letter, um, it has an executive summary at the start, and I suppose this really just makes the point that you simply cannot uh, Cherry pick verses of the Quran that suit you, and ignore the ones that go against what you're doing. Um, that's number one. And I'm I'm not sort of I'm conscious also of of time uh, as well. So this is something that you can download freely from the Oxford Foundation website. Um, so you, you have 24 points um, in the executive summary, and some of the. Other important points are that it is forbidden in Islam to ignore the reality of contemporary times. So the idea that we, we just ignore uh, that we live in a modern, plural world, a global world, that's interconnected. We ignore that and try and recreate something that sort of goes back um, to the 7th century. Just it, It's to do injustice to the law itself. Um, and of course, the, the obvious, you know, the killing of innocent people is just not justified. It doesn't matter how you cut it, it just isn't justified. Um, and and it's forbidden in Islam to mistreat or harm uh, Christians or any other people of the book. And this is very important because, um, you know, Yazidis, for example, um, how Muslims integrated animals, say, well, you know, they're people of the scripture as well. Um, the reintroduction of slavery uh, is forbidden in Islam. Uh, it was abolished by universal consensus. And when you look at the list of people, the 126 scholars who uh, endorsed the document, I mean, they are lawmakers. You know, they're, they're, they are muftis. They're scholars, and they're great scholars in the world, the people who are recognised. Um, so this is something that you will be able to look up. Um, from, from, our, uh, from our website. <coughs> the other point I wanted to share with that many people don't know about. Um, actually, do any of you know about the email message? One, two, three. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay, so there are five, six people who do know about it. Uh, because I think it's a really important and significant document um I think most Muslims don't know that um that such a diverse group of Muslims came together and basically said that there is absolutely no justification uh, in doing violence against each other that Islam is a broad church you know sunni shii you know the the eight different um you mentioned the the eight different uh, schools of uh, law, um, the traditional Islamic theology. Um, you know, a whole host of schools. Are, we all accept them as part of the House of Islam. Um, that there is absolutely no justification for doing violence towards uh, each other, and based upon this definition, they forbade they, takfir, i.e., excommunication um, of of uh, between Muslims. Um, and then also, you know, who, who gets to kind of uh, make fuck Who are the religious rulings? I mean, is it some bloke some in East London who suddenly gets up and says, I declare war on everybody, or, you know, you're not a Muslim? I mean, it, surely it has to have some conditions. People need to fulfil some conditions to be able to make those, uh, those laws. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, you can't have people who uh, might, you know, might be great at engineering doing theology. I mean, is just, some, and that's what we have. We've got people who are not experts in the field, um, who have a political vision, and using religion to justify uh, their, their violence. Now, just final initiative that I, I think was really important to share with you uh, is United for Peace, Communities United Against Extremism, we had quite a large event here in Oxford last, last year. Um, it's very simple. We, you know, it's, it's, it's a service. Um, it has readings from many different, uh, different faith traditions that affirm uh, love and understanding and respect for each other as opposed to the openness of violence and division and hatred ad- advocated by extremists. Um, so our event, uh, the next event is at the University of Birmingham but there I think what we're trying to do is take this the open letter, take this document to grassroots level so we're seeking a uh, commitment, uh, a, a pledge first, an endorsement of the 24 points of the open letter but then a commitment from Muslim faith leaders, mosques Uh, organisations, they will use this in their teachings, they will use this in their sermons. We want this message to get into mainstream, you know, every household should have a copy of the open letter, certainly every Muslim household, but I'd say every every household uh, should have a copy of the open letter because it really encapsulates the values that mainstream Muslims um, and Islam stand for uh, in in the modern world. But as I say, there is so much more that you can uh, download and have access to uh, on the OxfordFoundation.com website. I'm probably over time, but uh, thank you for listening so attentively. I'll, I'll stop here.